Heartwood Brands, this is Roots and Reflections, a podcast featuring first cuts and fascinating stories from the hardwood industry. I'm Ben Peach, and on this special live episode recorded at the 2024 IHLA convention, I chat with co-founder and vice president of Tropical Forest Products, Jordan Derry. Founded in 2017 by two brothers around their family's kitchen table, Tropical Forest Products has quickly grown into a well-established wholesaler of domestic and exotic hardwoods, with locations in the U.S. and Canada. Our conversation dives into Jordan's humble beginnings in the lumber industry, taking a leap of faith to start Tropical Forest Products, forming strategic partnerships, and all of the lessons they've learned along the way. Now sit back and enjoy my conversation with Jordan Derry. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for joining me today on the uh, Roots and Reflections podcast. We're here at the IHLA convention in Indianapolis. Um, So I kind of want to start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You got into the hardwood industry when you went to the inspector training school in 2013. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I, I started at Goodfellow. Uh, they were my uh, my stomping grounds where I went. I learned. I went to the yard. I learned how to grade. Um, I piled lumber. I worked on the grading stacker. You know, they were really, you know, gave me a, a great opportunity to get into this business that you know I'm forever thankful for. Um, I had a great experience at Goodfellow, and uh, thereon I went to go do my grading course in Quebec. It was a 15 week program that they had in uh up north quebec it was all in french and you know i'm a i'm an anglais as they say in french you know so it was it was it was really tough to try to relearn how to speak french almost you know because i i was living in the states for a bit uh my dad lived there and i came back and i was never really like big into french but being up north in quebec you really had to force yourself to understand and their their uh, dialect that they have over there is completely different than you know what I was used to living close to Montreal. Their French was completely different, and I actually had a couple of guys translate for me because there was just some words whenever the teachers were speaking I couldn't understand at all. So um, I it, it was a great opportunity. It was a it was a great school. Uh, you know, hats off to them because even the teachers, you know, even though they could barely speak English, they really wanted me to learn everything that was happening. And even though they knew I was going to be a, a salesman at Goodfellow, they really wanted to make sure that I also knew how to grade lumber and, and take that experience and, and have that, you know, tool that I always will have for the rest of my life to be able to grade lumber. So you worked with Goodfellow for about three years? Um, I was there between, I would say, I was there for about, yeah, three to four years. So what do you think your biggest takeaways were from those kind of the, the start of your career with Goodfellow? So the biggest takeaways I would say is, you know, Goodfellow brought me into this industry. It allowed me to meet some beautiful people. Hell, I, I met you because of Goodfellow, right? Uh, me being there, you know, uh, when you're at Elim's, and uh, I bought that machine from Amy for the first time. It, it, it set, you know, such a, a, a an effect that you know a- Amy then became a good friend of mine, and she gave she brought me into dinners and gave me contacts and everything like that. And she was always been a good friend of mine for the past you know eleven years that I've been doing this. So my biggest takeaway from from my experience at Goodfellow was I learned a lot at a very young age, you know, to develop my skills. And I built some incredible relationships because of, you know, being with them that carried on for the rest of my still going career. Sure, sure. Um, 
so you know i think it, your story starts to get interesting you know when we we talk about the the origins of of tropical forest products so i read that you took a, a trip to Asia, I think, in 2016, yeah. and that was sort of where you had this revelation. So tell me more about that. Yeah, well, pretty much how it went. I mean, uh, when I left Goodfellow, was really, uh, I, I came in one morning, I saw my twin brother was working with me, Justin, who still works with me now, and I just looked at him and I said, yeah, man, uh, I think today I'm going to quit. I'm just not happy here anymore. I feel like I could be doing um, better things. And He's like, you're not going to quit. I was like, no, no, yeah, like, I'm quitting. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm like, no, no, watch me. I'm I'm going to go downstairs to HR and I'm going to quit. And that's exactly what I did. I, I walked down, I, I quit. And then that same day, I booked a one-way ticket to uh, Asia. And I spent about three months over there. Had the time of my life. And uh, I was at a bar in Malaysia and, you know, I was drinking, having a good time. And drinking with these guys and they're like you know what did you used to do i was like oh i used to sell lumber and they're like oh well we actually supply curwing it was it's a species of lumber and i was like oh that's crazy they're like oh you want to come to our sawmill and i was like yeah absolutely so i went to go visit and uh you know the next day they're like hey you know uh would you want to sell lumber i was like yeah i mean i don't know we'll see and and that's, I kind of called up Justin that night. I was like, Justin, like, we're starting a lumber company. And he's like, no, we're not. I was like, no, no, we're going to do this. And he was like, we'll see. And uh, I got back about, you know, two months later. And we kind of, I kind of decided, I was like, you know, I'm going to leave Montreal. I moved to Toronto. And that's how Tropical Forest Products began. So, did you have kind of a clear vision early on of what tropical forest products would be, or is it just you had this opportunity to sell, um, you know, import lumber and, and sell it and just what it going to build from there? There was zero vision at all. I mean, I knew that I wanted to stay in the lumber business. I love the relationships I built in the lumber industry. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I have so many good friends. I'm going to shout out to uh, Jordan McIlvain from Alan McIlvain Lumber. Um, he's been a close friend of mine in the industry. And when I, you know, had this, you know, discussion and saying, hey, like, you know, I kind of want to do my own thing. And he was like, hey, whatever I can do to support you, I will. But just you got to provide me with good lumber at good prices. And yeah, I'll sure. buy from you. So that's pretty much how it began. And um, there was never, it was just always to just do it on my own, you know, not have somebody, you know, breathing down my neck or having, you know, that sort of boss, you know, and, uh, it started off, it started off small and, uh, it, it just kept going, you know? So tell me about one of the, my favorite stories from talking to you and, you know, I've read it in a couple of articles about tropical forest products is sort of the, the origin story is the family kitchen table. Yeah. So tell me about that. I mean, so originally when we moved out there to Toronto, so we had, you know, a kitchen table that was literally the workspace, you know, there was me, uh, Justin, my twin brother and Jassy, you know, who we call our, our adopted brother, you know, um, it was just the three of us for the longest time. We were working, you know, out of our house, you know, in our underwear and we'd wake up and get to work and try to sell lumber. And that's really how it all began. And we still have that table uh, today. It's a, it's a 
it's a huge uh, landmark for the start of our business. Right. So every every big company started in a garage. Yours started the kitchen table. Eh? Ours started in a kitchen table in Brampton, Ontario. You know, it, it's it it it's uh it's something that we love doing. You know, it, we were very motivated, even though, you know, at the beginning we used a lot of our, you know, competitors, our friends' lumber yards, and they were building loads from their places for us. We'd mix and match different things from all over the place using our friends' lumber yards to do what we did to get started. So you, you mentioned, you know, working with close friends, close partners in the industry. You guys started Tropical Forest Products at a pretty young age, relatively speaking. What was the response that you got from people? Was it really supportive? Was it, you guys are crazy? You know, what what was the feedback that you got? So starting Tropical was very mixed. We were 24 years old when we opened up Tropical Forest Products. So um, it was, the the our customers who knew us, were extremely supportive. And we got the slack, you know, from our competitors in the industry, you know what I mean? You have your your sort of unfriendly competition, you know what I mean, that wants to bring you down. But at the end of the day, this business, there's such there's so much less of that than there are people that want to see you be successful. You know, there's so many more companies and businesses that want to see you grow. Because, you know, as much as I could be the next biggest competition for somebody, I could also be their biggest customer as well. Right. You know? So um, I have to shout out to this industry. Like, you know, uh, it was it was really nice. There's so many people. I, I did, we had zero credit. You know, everything that we had, we put it into the business and we didn't even have money to pay for our next month's rent. You know what I mean? That's just the way it was. And you know, we had we had people like from Bailey. You know, I remember when I called up uh, Ed White at Bailey. I said uh, when he was at Wagner, I said, "Listen, like I don't know when I could pay you, but you know we're gonna pay you. But if you could send me some lumber, that'd be great." And he was like, "Yeah, no problem, Jordan." Like he sent me about two hundred thousand dollars worth of lumber the next week. That's great. I mean, we the the support was unreal. You know, we had tons of people that were supporting us and helping us get to where we need to be. So, you know, it sounds like you quickly, you know, you started at the, at the kitchen table, but you guys actually quickly moved into your first warehouse space in what, about six months in? Yeah, about six months in, we, we opened up the company in January and by June we had our first warehouse. So tell me about that first warehouse. I heard that it was, what, a converted auto parts Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was an auto, auto parts store and uh, it was filled with uh, oil all over the place. We had to completely gut it out. It was me, Jassy, and Justin who did all the renovations. I mean, we ripped out old carpets. We made it look nice. I mean, we did everything. You know, we did it all, all hands-on, and, you know, we, we tried to make it look as best as we could, you know, and that's pretty much what it was. There was, you know, no private offices, all open space, and that's what it was. There was just our three desks there, you know, and a, a little small little office space, and then the rest was all warehouse. So, you know, I think a lot of people speak, uh, you know, they look back fondly on startup days, right? It's a lot of hard work. Everything moves fast, but it, it's fun. So when you look back on that first six months when it was the three of you and, you know, you had your desks sitting next to each other, what are your memories of those early days? So, you know, the best memories that I have was we bought a bunch of Nerf guns and we would just have these all-out wars in our office between me, Jassy, and Justin. And, you know, that to me was just, 
it was a good reminder that, you know, we were having fun doing what we were doing. You know, there's a time to be serious and then there's also time to have our fun. And I, I loved, you know, that we, we took it seriously, but not too seriously. You know, there was still that, like, we made our office space, you know, we didn't want it to be like that workspace only. We wanted to have fun there. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I, I miss the most is just, you know, and the, the, the pride as well. Whenever we pulled into that first warehouse, you knew that like, hey, this is something that came from nothing. Right. You know what I mean? So we, we definitely enjoyed our time there, but we did grow extremely fast. And so those memories of that place were not that much because we changed so many warehouses multiple times in a very short span of time. Right. So that, you know, I think that, you know, you can almost call it astronomical growth for you guys. Tell me about how that came about. You know, is it something that you guys had a three-year plan or a five-year plan and you said, we want to do this, this, and this and meet these milestones? Or is it just, you know, sort of the drinking from a fire hose metaphor where things yes. just kind of came your way? We kind of had, we kind of had a, a budget plan. You know, our, our first year, you know, I had budgeted to maybe do about $4 million in sales, but that $4 million ended up turning into ten. You know, and the second year, you know, we wanted to do, okay, we said well, maybe 15 was going to be okay, but we ended up doing 25. So having that, it was, you know, we were all learning this, right? It was all a new experience for us. And that's where, you know, um, our partner, Chris, who came in, really set the pace for us because we didn't know what we were doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Great at selling lumber great at buying lumber, but everything else was just a complete disaster, you know? And so we were constantly, you know, trying to solve problems that we didn't really have the answers to because we didn't really have the skills in order to solve those problems. So you mentioned, you know, that brings up kind of my next point that I really want to dig into. And, you know, mentioned Chris, and that's, that was the, the lumber decking merger, correct? Yes. So tell me about how that came about and, you know, why you saw, I mean, you sort of touched on it already, but why you saw value in that merger and how that kind of transformed the, your company. Yeah, so Chris was actually my mentor at Goodfellow. So I had a very good relationship with him. I sold a lot of the products that he was buying for Goodfellow. So, you know, we were always in communication on so many different things. And so when I left, you know, Goodfellow and I started Tropical Forest Products, it, he was still there for, I think, a couple of years. And then he decided to leave and, and, and form Lumber Decking. And so... There was one day he was coming back from Miami and, you know, I just said, Hey, Chris, like we have a hotel across the street from our warehouse. I said, why don't you come down and, you know, come, come grab a drink and we'll talk. And we sat there, I think it was like for seven hours, you know, talking about things that I want for tropical and things that he wants for lumber decking. And it kind of just made sense at the end of that conversation we just, from that day on, we just merged both the companies together. Right. We just said we, we'd rather do it together. Yeah, I love all those stories. You know, you hear a lot of it about, you know, this business was built on handshake at a dinner, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty much how Tropical was was done. I mean, he loved the name that we chose because of the products that we like to sell. I mean, we were always, you know, even for myself, you know, domestic species, you know, I always sold the niche uh, domestic species, like, you know, curly maple and that kind of stuff, course on rift. But I really love selling exotic wood. So I kind of wanted to stick with that. But it was still a problem because as we bought more domestic lumber and we're just always called tropical forest products, you know what I mean? It, it didn't really, 
have a good ring. So now I just say like TFP wood when I'm cold calling just to make sure. sure that they know that, hey, we're not just tropical forest products. You know what I mean? We do carry an extensive line of different types of products as well. So, you know, what what do you think Chris brought to the table the most? I, you know, in some of the articles I read, you sort of, you talk about his mentorship and his leadership, but, you know, sort of more of the tangible assets. What do you think he brings to to that partnership? So Chris, I mean, really his leadership is, you know, really the the main point that we know you could touch on. But, you know, he came from years of experience of being in the lumber industry as well, right? Like managing skills, like, you know, I'm not, you know, back when I was 24, you know, it was, it was really tough. And, you know, it was when I got to 26 and when he came on board, there was a sense of calming. Not everything was a big deal. You know, we were still young. We were still learning. We were so, trying to figure out everything. And he came in with, a, you know, a ton of experience to be like, hey, guys, like, this is how you're supposed to structure things. Where do you guys want to get to? You know, and he, he, he is phenomenal with the bank. You know what I mean? Bringing in funding. You know, we wouldn't be able to grow the way we did if it weren't for him, you know? Right. Because like I said, you know, as much, you know, as I, I got to give him most of the credit because I'm just a really okay average salesman and lumber buyer. You know what I mean? He really put structure to our business and really showed us the potential of where we're, be, where we're able to get to. So growth, I think, is the next thing I want to talk about because, I mean... In the grand scheme of things, Tropical Forest Products has been in business now for what, about seven, eight years? Seven years, yeah. And in that seven years, you've grown from the kitchen table to four locations, five locations? I mean, uh, you're... So now so now we have three locations. We have three? one 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 in South Carolina. We have uh, two in Toronto. And uh, we, I mean, we do have some other, um, you know, locations that we store lumber in in the West Coast and stuff like that. But three are under our building's name and others we just, you know, uh, pay that monthly rent to Sora Lumber. Okay. So tell me how you got, you know, in a rel- I mean, realistic, a relatively short period of time from start to, you know, having these three locations and a presence in, in other big major markets. I mean, what do you attribute that growth to? So I think for us, between, you know, myself, Jassy, and Justin, which, you know, we, we call ourselves, you know, the original three, and then with Chris, the original four, because it was just us four for a very, very long time. And I think we've always maintained the same type of attitude throughout business. We are here to provide our customers the best service that we possibly can. You know, everybody knows everybody in this industry. We're not doing anything different than somebody else besides from what lengths are we willing to go to in order to make sure that our customers get the product that they need. You know, we haven't changed that. That's been, you know, our recipe for seven years. And I think we built a good reputation. I think a lot of people in this industry are able to count on us. And when we say we're going to do something, we're going to make sure that that's, that is seen throughout the end. You know what I mean? We never cancel any POs. If we say something that we're going to do, we're going to do it. You know, and I think that has always been, you know, my number one thing when I want to open up Tropical Forest products, that the customers are always right. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter, you know, if you see that you're getting abused by, you know, some different customers, okay, it's better to just drop them. But this business is an honest business. You know what I mean? There is problems with lumber sometimes. Just fix them. You know what I mean? If it's if you're going to count pennies and lose dollars, then it just becomes an even bigger problem. So we always look for the next, look forward to the next order. Then whatever issues with this one, we'll take care of it. 
You know what I mean? I think a lot of a lot of the companies appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone I talked to, that's, you know, from my own personal experience in building my company to, you know, everyone I talked to, it, whether it's why do you like this industry or why has your business been successful? The common thread is always, it's the people factor, it's the honesty, it's just the fact that this industry as a whole is a stand-up industry. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot more deals done over handshakes than with lawyers and contracts. Absolutely. I mean, you know, some of my biggest orders that I've ever got, you know, has been a, a, a 10 second phone call and then it hangs up and then you're shipping, you know, $200,000, $300,000 worth of lumber and you're just, you know, that's just the way this place is, you know what I mean? And even for us too, the the amount of support that we've had from, you know, I call them my, my fellow colleagues in this industry has been nothing but the most pleasant experience, you know, because they have always, there's so many people that have always been there to support us in order to see us get to where we want to grow to. Sure. So one of the things that I found really interesting that you guys have done over the last couple of years, and it's particularly interesting to me being in the branding space, is creating black label lumber. So, I mean, effectively, you guys have branded a commodity product, more or less. So tell me about, you know, how that idea came about, and it seems like it's been really successful for you guys. It has been very successful. Uh, there's a gentleman that works with us, Brian Lotz. Um, you know, he comes from a, a huge background of working with tropical decking and we've always kind of wanted to set ourselves different from other people right and creating that brand you know because there are other epa brands in the market you know what i mean so for us it was like okay if you have x amount of brands that are there why can't we have our own you know what i mean and if we were going to do it how can we do it better than everybody else so it was a very long time to, to do our research and go over things and seeing what the customer wants in order for us to be able to provide them something with that we knew was going to be better in the market. Right. And, you know, since, since that all happened, we built almost a $50 million um, in tropical decking. Um, you know, uh, we, we've done, you know, for the last three years, about $50 million a year in tropical decking because of that. Wow. Yeah. So you guys just released a new product recently, correct? The thermal product? Yeah. So uh, we're going to be having our own thermally modified um, AOS, which is what we're calling our uh, thermally modified mahogany, ash, poplar. Uh, we're going to have that, all different kinds of pines. You know what I mean? We're going to be making like a cladding product and even a decking product. And we're going to be having that available at our place all the time. So is the kind of the impetus to, to build that brand, is it based on the success of, of Black Label Lumber? Absolutely. I mean, we see the trend that's going in the thermally modified woods. You know, a lot of people are, a lot of people are getting involved. A lot of people are wanting to do it. So that was another thing is like, you know, how are we going to be able to, you know, have our own niche in this type of market and sell a product that people are going to want from us? I see. So... You know, one of the things I kind of like to build into each episode is, is sort of a reflection section. So we've talked about how you got here. Now, looking back, obviously you guys started at, at a young age. So what were you, you know, when you started Tropical Forest Products, what do you think were your biggest learning curves? I would say my biggest learning curve, you know, that I learned, you know, probably the last two years is biting off more than you could shoot, you know, um, Tropical Forest Products was growing too fast for our own good. And, you know, having the right key players in place doing the important jobs, 
that could either make or break a business. And we saw, you know, huge, huge mistakes that we've made by not, you know, crossing our T's and dotting our I's that, you know, thank God, you know, we're, we're here. I mean, after the COVID boom, there was a huge crash, you know, and a lot of people suffered in this industry. You know, there's a lot of people who shut down and closed and, you know, we took a massive hit as well, but giving up was never an option. You know what I mean? We love this business so much that, you know, it didn't matter how many millions we lost. The same thought was waking up every day and seeing how many more millions you're able to make in order to cover that and cover the people that you owe money to. You know what I mean? And there's, you know, a, that sense of, of for us, you know, we, we worked so hard to get to where we were that it wasn't an option to try to give up. You know what I mean? A lot of people lost a lot of money, but for us, where we like everything that we made in tropical forest products got put back into the company. Nothing was kept aside for a rainy day. We just kept reinvesting, reinvesting, buying more lumber, which, you know, when the, when the crash happened, it, it, it burned us, you know what I mean? But we made that mistake once. We're never going to make that mistake again. And it's just, you know, now having a more diversified portfolio with the type of product lines that we're carrying and making sure that we're doing things that work for us and not things that work against us. Right. Yeah. So, you know, now it's sort of the flip side of the big learning curves and the challenges. What do you, you know, being in your position of starting a company at such a young age, do you think having sort of that youthful, different or fresh perspective helped you look at things differently and kind of change the way you guys operated? Absolutely. I mean, I think for us, we came in like a, a, a wrecking ball, right? You know, people were questioning, you know, we, we started running ads and everything like that, you know, spending a lot of money. And, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to get, you know, involved and, you know, do as much as we can. But at the same time, it's like, those were also very young mistakes as well. You know what I mean? We should have really took the time to pre-plan a lot of things instead of just saying yes to everything that came to our door. Right. You know what I mean? We were like, yes, yes, men almost, you know, anybody was like, oh, you want to do this? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Let's try it out. You know? So I think now looking back, you know, and things that we're doing things differently now is really taking the time to observe everything that gets put on our doorstep first and seeing, you know, Hey, is this really the best thing for us? Instead of just like one person just agreeing to it, having, you know, the talks with, you know, our main management team and saying, okay, is this something that we all are, are all on board on? Yes, no, okay, great, move forward. Right. You know, before it was just like literally just saying yes to everything. So one of the other things that, that really stood out to me in the article I was reading um, is you mentioned sort of the culture that you've built at Tropical Forest Products. It's not a, you know, I, I think in this day and age, there's a lot of, in the startup business, there's a lot of like the hustle culture, right? You always got to be working. You always have to hustle and grind. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is, is really focusing on the well-being of your employees and, and sort of focusing on investing in the people. So tell me more about that and how that's, you know, that's paid off for your company. Yeah. I mean, just like in anything, you know, if you, you have people that are going to work and they hate showing up there, you know, you're just wasting money. You know, you're not getting the best out of that employee. So, you know, we kind of just said, like, if we create an environment that people love their job, right, they come in there and they love doing what they're doing or having that talk saying, hey, you know, 
I'm seeing that you're not really good at this, but you maybe want to try something else and maybe see if that will work for you. You know, that's the way we kind of develop things in order to see who's good at what, what's the skills that they have that could, you know, be good for something that, you know, they want to do instead of putting them something that they don't want to do. And for that, you know, we've had so many people that, you know, wanted to learn how to grade and now they're, they're graders for us. You know, they, they actually enjoy piling lumber. So now they pile lumber. I had people, you know, who came on the sales team that were like, mm, you know, I don't really know if this is good for me. Maybe I want to work on the inventory team. And now they're there. So it's really just that constant communication with our, you know, our, our fellow colleagues, asking them, hey, what makes you happy? What do you see yourself doing best in? And that has, you know, kept everybody we don't really have that many employees that leave or quit. You know, they, right. since we started, everybody who we, we've added in has stayed on board. So, you know, we're early in the year. It's, you know, it's January, I guess, February now. Um, what are you looking forward to the most this year? Is it the, the new thermal product? And what, what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we were excited for this year. We, you know, we decided, you know, what our game plan was going to be. And, you know, I'm excited to see that plan get put into action. You know, we're, we're just coming off of a year of pain. You know what I mean? We, 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 we went through some, some shit the last year and a half. And I think a lot of people did. And, you know, we are very, we're very fortunate, you know, to, to be open, to be still up and running. You know, we fought hard, you know, it's, it's probably last year was the, the toughest year of my life. And I think everybody's lives that worked at TFP because failure was not an option. You know what I mean? We lost a lot of money, but we worked hard to make sure that we're still here, you know? So we, we did a lot of that, you know, grinding and hard work in 2023. And, you know, we're, we're on track. We had a phenomenal month of January and we're projecting to continue going, you know, as, as, you know, as best as we can. And I'm just excited that, you know, we learned those lessons, you know, we, we, we learned, you know, some very valuable lessons to never make those same mistakes again. And I'm just excited to, you know, continue doing what we've, we've been doing and just have another great year and just finally have something on track with vision and, you know, less gunslinging, you know, something more, you know, uh, calculated. And I think that's what I'm most excited about. We've, we've matured a lot. So right. we, we learned a lot of hard lessons and now it's time to, you know, put, put our plan in action and, and have it concrete. So it sounds like you're feeling pretty optimistic about the year ahead. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, you know, the, the lumber business is, you know, we, we had, we had an okay year last year too, right? You know, I think a lot of people, you know, markets were down and a lot, a lot of the pricing, you know, went down, but now pricing is going back up and it really just becomes once again is, you know, our instinct of, you know, buying something low and waiting a little bit because you know, it's going to get hot and, you know, that's, you know, what we're good at, you know, that's what we do. So you're looking at the market trends and, you know, trying to stay on top of that and doing it in a smart way, you know, that's where I see our, our success for 2024. So, you know, in terms of what you're looking forward to, obviously you guys are exhibiting here at, at the IHLA convention. Um, I know this is one of my favorites to come to every year. What are you looking forward to most about the convention this week? Um, I, I'm the, the number one thing I was looking forward to seeing you, you know, 
see your pretty face. There you go. Um, but no, I, I'm excited to see all my friends in this industry, my colleagues, you know, people who've helped us, you know, for these past seven years. It's always a good time to come out here and and see and see everybody like I'm going to be a daddy in, you know, four weeks from now. So I don't know how much Congrats. traveling. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how much uh, traveling I'm going to be able to do over the next uh, couple of months, you know, but coming here and being able to see everybody and, you know, uh, go out for lunches, dinners, seeing everybody, asking how everybody's doing, you know, checking up on them, you know, on a face-to-face level. I think that's what I'm excited most for. And the IHLA just does a terrific job year after year of bringing in new people, new companies into this you know, convention and you get to meet a lot of new faces that you didn't meet before. So, I mean, IHLA for me is my favorite convention to go to. Great. Great. Yeah, agreed. I think it's, it's definitely up there as one of my top two favorites. Um, so, you know, I think our mission with this podcast is to find interesting stories in the hardwood industry, whether that's interesting people or interesting companies. Um, so whose story should we tell next? Um, you know, that, you know, is there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting uh, characters, but the one who I think is pretty interesting would be uh, and his story would be Dallas Workis from Tampa International. All right, uh, he's uh, he's a bright young guy who just absolutely fell in love with this industry, and you know, I I think he he's done a great job. He's one of my you know great customers, and I and the and I truly love him dearly. I mean, he's become a great friend of mine and the way he's brought himself into this industry to, you know, know everybody. And, you know, he's the type of guy that if people are having a conversation, he'll step right in and introduce himself to make sure that people know who Dallas Workus is. is. And uh, he's a great dude. And I think he uh, definitely should be on this podcast. Awesome. We'll have to track him down. Well, you know, thanks again, Jordan, for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, yours is definitely a story I wanted to tell early on in the in the life of this podcast. So I appreciate it. It's good to see you. It's always good to see you too, Ben. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you. Take care. Have a good week. All right. You too, buddy.